Hello, this is Kristen Godsey with the AK-47 podcast. That's 47 readings from the works of Alexandra Kolontai. And today I'm going to pick up on a theme that I discussed in my last episode with my guest, Annie Finch. And that's the effect that women's activism in the former Eastern Bloc countries, but particularly in the Soviet Union, had on Western women and Western women's rights. And so one of the arguments that I make in my brand new book called Second World, Second Sex, which came out with Duke University Press just a couple weeks ago, is that the Cold War was actually really productive for women's rights in this interesting way because of superpower rivalry over which economic system could provide women with better lives. And so I thought it was really interesting as I was looking through the works of Alexandra Kollontai that I stumbled upon an essay that she wrote in October 1927 for the 10-year anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. And the name of this essay is, What Has the October Revolution Done for Women in the West? And I think this is a really interesting piece because Alexander Kolontai is actually reflecting on the important role model that the Soviet Union had become for women around the world. And so I'm going to read a selection of that now and then maybe discuss it a little bit more afterwards. What has the October Revolution done for women in the West? October 1927. What the October Revolution has achieved in terms of the emancipation of working women in the Soviet Union is well known to all, is clear and indisputable. However, what effect has the great October Revolution had on the movement for the emancipation of women in other bourgeois countries abroad? What has it contributed to the creation of the new woman involved in the tasks and aspirations of the working class? World War, which, in Europe and North America, drew enormous numbers of women from the poorer sections of the population and those with moderate means into the whirlpool of production and state administration, undoubtedly served to advance considerably the cause of female emancipation. The rapid growth of female labor brought with it unparalleled changes in family life and in the overall mode of life of women in bourgeois countries. However, this process of female emancipation would scarcely have advanced any further without the powerful example of the October Revolution. The October Revolution helped to bring about a new evaluation of women, to reveal and confirm the view of women as socially useful labor units. From the very first days of the October Revolution, it became clear that women's energies are needed not only by the husband and the family, as has been thought for thousands of years, but also by society, the whole social collective, the state. However, that this phenomenon is an inevitable historical fact, that the formation of a new type of woman is linked to a general shift towards the creation of a new working society, is something that the bourgeoisie cannot and does not wish to recognize. If it were not for the October Revolution, it would still be generally believed that the woman earning her own living is a temporary phenomenon, and that woman's place is in the family, standing at the back of her husband, breadwinner. The October Revolution changed many concepts. This radical change in the evaluation of the tasks and vocation of women in the Soviet Union has affected the attitude to women far beyond the borders of the Soviet Union. We can now meet the new woman everywhere, in every corner of the world. The new woman is a mass phenomenon, with the exception, perhaps, of women in the semi-colonial and colonial countries, where the development of the productive forces is impeded by the predatory rule of the imperialists. 
However, even there, given the struggle for national self-determination and against imperialism, the new woman is being molded in the very process of struggle. It is impossible to succeed in the struggle between social groups and classes without the cooperation of women. The new woman is essentially an independent labor unit whose energy is not to serve the interest of a private family economy, but to perform socially useful and necessary labor. She is being liberated from those inner moral characteristics which marked the woman of the past. Female triviality, conservatism, and restricted range of ideas, her envy and malice towards other women as rivals in the hunt for a provider, all these characteristics are no longer necessary in that sphere where she is now struggling to survive. As soon as the woman starts to live by her own work, she needs to develop different qualities and acquire new habits, and millions of working women throughout the world are hastening to morally rearm themselves. I'm just going to stop for a second and reflect on that last passage, which I think is really interesting. So in this essay, Kolontai is really saying that because the Soviet woman is taken so seriously as a worker as well as as a mother that the example of the Soviet Union is being held up around the world and women are suddenly realizing that their place isn't only in the home behind their husbands um, who are providers. Uh, And I think it's interesting that she says in this passage that I just read that because women are now working and because they are doing socially useful labor and what Alexandra Kolontai considers socially useful in terms of not only contributing to the family economy but also contributing to society, that their whole inner sort of moral characteristics, she calls them, are changing. Um, what she calls female triviality or conservatism and the restricted range of ideas. And of course, in Russia, she's really speaking about religion here because obviously a lot of Russian women were very religious. Um, Russia had very high levels of illiteracy in 1917. And so this sort of very narrow worldview um, and especially the rivalry and malice that she feels, a uh, woman feels towards other women as they hunt, you know, for scarce pickings of husbands. Um, all of those things will fall away in Kolontai's vision um, when women are produ- producing, you know, socially valuable things for society, in this case, working to contribute to building a socialist society. So I'm going to continue now, picking up where I left off. It is interesting to observe how, not only in our country but also abroad, women are learning to be efficient and workers whose labor is necessary. They are fully aware that their own well-being and often also the existence of their children depends directly on them, on their work and qualifications. Externally and internally, they are adapting to the new conditions in which they live. Internally, psychologically, they are ceasing to be those patient, obedient things who gave themselves wholly to husband and family. Now women have no time to be sentimental, and even less can they be obedient and patient. It is more important that they be sure of their own strength, resolute in their actions, and not distracted by their emotions. In addition to their efficiency and their attempts by raising their qualifications and improving their health and physical strength to increase their value on the labor market, the new working women differ from the women of the past also in their strong feelings for and consciousness of their links with their class, with the collective. Women are involved in politics and once again, if war drew large numbers of women into the political struggle, 
It was only the October Revolution which recognized publicly, by its laws, by the entire practice of the new Soviet system, that once the woman is working in and for society, she should be recognized as an active citizen. The enormous shift in the position of women in the Soviet Union has encouraged contending social groups to attempt to draw women onto their side. Everywhere, in every country, the political activity of women has shown unprecedented growth over the last 10 years. Would this have been possible without the Great October Revolution? Could the new woman citizen and socially useful worker have emerged without the great whirlwind that blew across the world? Could the working women of other countries have taken such giant strides towards their own comprehensive emancipation without the October Revolution? Anyone who pauses to think realizes that the answer is clearly no. This is why working women throughout the world cannot but feel that this 10th anniversary of the October Revolution is the great festival of workers of the world. So that was Alexandra Kollontai writing in 1927 for the 10th year anniversary of the October Revolution. And I think it's really interesting that she's trying to make this case that the Soviet Union is really pioneering women's rights. And she's it is a place where women have really come into their own. They've had new opportunities that women in other societies didn't have or haven't had uh, or still didn't have at the time. Um, if you think about the fact that you know women in Switzerland, for instance, don't even get the right to vote until 1972. Um, I believe that women in, in Western Germany uh, can't have jobs uh, outside of the home without their husband's permission until something like 1957. You know, women's rights in the Soviet Union, particularly just from a formal equality point of view, legally speaking, in the Constitution and in the Family Code and in the labor laws, the, the Soviet Union was incredibly advanced compared to most of its European peers, particularly in the 20s. Now, of course, it's important to realize that Stalin reverses many of the policies that Kolontai and her contemporaries in the 20s put into place with uh, his 1936 family code. And so a lot of the early progress that is made in the Soviet Union is somewhat reversed by um, during the Stalinist era. And the Soviet Union wasn't perfect. Certainly, they did not tackle patriarchy within the home. They didn't really tackle traditional gender roles as much as, although in this piece, it's interesting that Kolontai is talking about women having sort of different psychological uh, characteristics once she joins society. Uh, but obviously, they're not really talking about men, and she's not really thinking about the way that men's brains and psychologies and moral characteristics also need to change in order to accommodate women's place, new place in society. And I also think it's probably worth mentioning, as I talked about in the previous episode, that Kolontai herself was very pro-natalist, as were most socialist countries. They really did need women to be mothers because of labor shortages. And they sort of forced women to work because they thought it was for their own good in order to be socially valuable to society and to become economically independent of their husbands. And so there was this double burden that a lot of women in the former socialist countries did face, you know, of, of being both mothers and being responsible for the housework and domestic chores, as well as being workers. 
Um, but that being said, I do think that there's plenty of evidence to support that women did like working, uh, that when asked if they um, could be stay-at-home mothers and be dependent on their husbands, most Soviet women and then later Eastern Bloc women said no. They did not want that. They wanted to continue working, but they wanted help. They wanted uh, the state to provide them with social services that would ease the burden of full-time employment and motherhood or domestic work. And so that meant kindergartens, that meant creches, that meant public laundries, public cafeterias, um, all of the things actually that Alexandra Kollontai tried to implement in the Soviet Union in the 1920s. So what I find really fascinating about this piece is that Kolontai is really spelling out very early on this idea that without the Great October Revolution, without the strides that the Soviet Union took to emancipate women in the 20s, that the subsequent strides, particularly when we think about suffrage, the expansion of suffrage for women in the Western world were in some ways reactions to the Soviet emancipation of women after 1917. Now, of course, that's, you know, it's all debatable. There were obviously suffrage movements in the West um, prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, and there had been different sorts of agitation around women's rights, largely, again, bourgeois women who wanted property rights, uh, who wanted to have access to the male professions, and obviously who wanted to have the right to vote. They weren't necessarily concerned with all women. But I do think that all women's rights uh, organizations or movements of all sorts, even the bourgeois ones, were in some ways helped by the precedent set by the October Revolution in the Soviet Union. Um, and that Kolontai actually got her finger on something in a way. Uh, something that will become very important after 1945 and the expansion of state socialism into the Eastern Bloc. And all of those countries facing severe labor shortages incorporate women into the labor force after the Second World War and implement a lot of the same policies that Kolontai is talking about in the 20s. And so I think during the Cold War, there is this narrative of the Eastern Bloc being the place where women have it pretty good. Um, of course, that pretty good is, is never as good as the Eastern Bloc countries say it is, but relatively speaking, it's still pretty good. And um, and so there's this interesting you know, observation that I've made, and I think other scholars have made, that maybe the progress of women's rights in the West really is you know, done in dialogue always as a dialectic, in a dialectical conversation between the sort of capitalist West and the state socialist East. And that this article or essay that uh, Kolontai writes in 27 is really quite prescient of what's going to happen in the later half of the 20th century. And so I will sign off for now. Uh, if I don't get a chance to record another episode before tomorrow, I will say happy International Women's Day to everyone. Tomorrow is March 8th. I'm recording this on the morning of March 7th. Hopefully I'll try to get one more up before March 8th, but if not, happy International Women's Day, and I hope that you tune in and subscribe to AK47, uh, 47 Selections from the Works of Alexandra Kolontai. In solidarity, bye-bye.